hear from God's word from Psalm 95. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. Brothers and sisters, once again, we have the privilege to praise, the privilege to remember who our God is, what he has done, and respond in song. And we have a new song to start this morning. It is the last of our psalm songs through the psalms of 90 through 100. And like the psalm, this song is an invitation to come, to clap, to sing, to praise our great God and King. Brothers and sisters, clap your hands. Let's raise a song to the great I am. Enter his gates with thanks, his courts with praise. Come bless his name. Bless his name. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. All the earth with gladness serve and bow before His great worth. For the Lord is good, His faithful love will endure. It is sure. Brothers and sisters, clap your hands. Let's raise a song to the great I Am. Enter his gates with thanks, his courts with praise. Come bless his name, bless his name. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. All the earth with gladness serve and bow before his great worth. Let your song be heard, your voice be felt, for it is well. Oh, come and tell. Brothers and sisters, clap your hands. Let's raise a song to the great I am. Enter his gates with thanks, his courts with praise. Bless his name, yes, bless his name. Arise and sing, people, arise and sing to our shepherd king. We were made to bring praise and offerings. People, arise and sing to our shepherd king. Made to bring praise and offering. Brothers and sisters, clap your hands. Let's raise a song to the great I am. Enter his gates with thanks, his courts with praise. Come bless his name. Yes, bless his name, bless his name, oh, bless his name.
Lord inhabits the praises of his people. And so wherever this finds you this morning, uh, we pray that you would sing, that you would clap, that you would give praise to our great God, trusting that he is with us. Well, if you're uh, fairly new to Desert Springs Church, perhaps you're brand new, perhaps you're tuning in, uh, perhaps a friend recommended this link to you, uh, perhaps um, you're not even sure what you're in for. Well, we just want to say welcome to you, and we want to serve you. We want to help you however we can. We want to answer any questions that you might have. Uh, I suspect there'll probably be some things sung or spoken or prayed in this service that might be a bit of a head-scratcher for you, and we would love to have you reach out to us and just let us know and, and, and let us answer any questions you might have. You can use our email address, info at dscabq.com. Well, Drew mentioned the series we've been in, in the Psalms of the 90s and 100, and we've been seeing in those Psalms the emphasis on God's supreme rule over his creation. So I thought it'd be good for us to read just a bit in Mark chapter 4 to show specifically Jesus' rule over creation. Hear this from Mark 4, starting in verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took, him, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him, and a great windstorm arose. And the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear, and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, it is in your name that we come into your presence, the divine presence, the throne of God. You are the one, Lord, who rules over all creation because you were a perfect sacrifice for sins and you were resurrected on the third day and you have ascended on high and you are now seated at the Father's right hand, ruling and reigning forever and ever. So we acknowledge that this morning. Afresh, we acknowledge it, we confess it, and we put our hope in you again, Lord. What else could we turn to for hope but you, the one who stills the crazy storms of the sea? So, Lord, we pray you'd even calm the storms or the seas of our hearts today. We pray you'd bring a calm and a peace, even while we sort of wonder afresh, who is this? Well, we know who this is, the one who came, who is Messiah and Savior and friend and shepherd. It's in your name that we worship and pray. Amen. Let us once again sing out to our omnipotent King. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. O 
my soul praise him for he is your help and salvation come all who hear now to his temple draw near join me in glad adoration praise to the lord Praise to the Lord above all things so wondrously reigning. Sheltering you under his wings and so gently sustaining. Have you not seen all that is needful has been sent by his gracious ordain? Yes, may we believe it. Praise to the Lord who will prosper your work and defend you. Surely his goodness and mercy shall daily attend you. Ponder anew what the Almighty can do. If with his love he befriends you. Joyful, joyful, sing it out. Joyful, joyful, we adore you, God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like clouds before you, hoping to Praise to the Lord, praise to the Lord, oh let all that is in me adore Him. All that hath life and breath, come now with praises before Him. Let the Amen sound from His people again. Gladly forever adore. Let the Amen, let the Amen sound from His people again. Gladly forever adore. it is good for us to sing with joy and for joy, but sometimes we don't have that joy to sing with. And sometimes we need to sing our sorrows. And that's okay because the Bible gives us words to sing when we feel those things. So let us cry out to God together. Let us lament together, confess together, and use the words of Psalm 130 to help us do that. From depths of woe I raise to thee The voice of lamentation Lord, turn a gracious ear to me And hear my supplication 
If thou iniquities dost mark Our secret sins and misdeeds dark Who shall stand before thee? Who shall stand before thee? Wash away the crimson stain Tis grace alone availing Our works, alas, are all in vain In much the best life ever No man can glory in thy sight All must alike confess thy might Live alone by mercy Live alone by mercy Therefore my trust is in the Lord not in my own merit. On him my soul shall rest, his word upholds my fainting spirit. His promised mercy is my Lord, my comfort and my sweet support I wait for it with patience I wait for it with patience Though great our sins and sore our woes His grace much more abounded his helping love no limit knows Our utmost needed sounded Our shepherd good and true is he Who will at last his people free From all their sin and sorrow Yes, even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't have to fear because he is with us, our shepherd, our king. He leads us and guides us. So let us now sing to him and follow him, our shepherd, our savior. Pleasant 
pastures feed us, for I use thy bones prepared. Blessed Jesus, blessed Jesus, thou hast bought us, thou we Blessed Jesus, blessed Jesus, thou hast bought us, thou we are. We are thy mountains, befriend us, be the guiding of thy way. Be thy flock from sin, defend us, seek us when we go. some time and continue in prayer, and I'll lead us in praying to our Father, asking for his help. Let's pray. Father, maker of all, giver of life, breath, and voice, we pray to you. We know that you love to hear the prayers of your people, but you also love to hear the singing of your people. You have made us to sing. You designed each of us to be instruments of your praise. And like real instruments that need to be tuned, our voices sometimes need to be taught and tuned. And most of all, our hearts need to be taught and tuned to sing your grace. Help us to sing, to sing when we are sad and scared, to remind ourselves that you are our mighty fortress. Help us to sing when we're glad, because it is from you that all blessings flow. And to sing in joy and in sorrow, in victory and defeat, in sickness and health. 
to sing at the birthday party and at the funeral home because you are the giver of life. Lord, make us a singing church. May we be known for our loud songs, that our voices would join in testifying of your great faithfulness to us. Help us to sing in our homes, with our kids, in our cars, on our walks, when through the woods and forest glades we wander. May we again sing together in this room very soon. Lord, make it so. Let all that claim to be your child not be concerned with the sound or quality of our voice, but with the content of our song. We sing because you are worthy. We sing because you are good. We long to join in the great song that will not end, in the gathering that will not be restricted with voices that will not grow weary among the saints of every age singing worthy, worthy is the lamb who was slain. We pray, we sing in the name of our great worship leader and singing savior, Jesus, amen. Amen. Let us sing. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy. All people that on earth do dwell, sing to the Lord with cheerful voice, Him serve with mirth, His praise
your voice sing praise praise God from whom all blessings flow praise him all creatures here this from Psalm 100, a psalm for giving thanks. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Would you pray with me? Yes, Lord, this is a high calling of praise put before us. This is a glorious invitation to your presence and to joy. We pray, Lord, that this word, which is alive and active, we pray, Lord, it would shape us. We pray, Lord, you would cut off what needs cutting off, and you would heal where we need healing. You would restore. You'd energize We pray through your word today, Lord, that our eyes would be on you and you would teach us. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, the song that we just sang, which is a mix of the doxology and another song called uh, All People That on Earth Do Dwell, the latter is based on Psalm 100. It's an early example of what Drew and his songwriting team have done for us now dozens of times over the years, taking words and themes from a single psalm and putting them in fresh arrangement. The words of the hymn, All People That on Earth Do Dwell, were first penned by William Keith in the mid-1500s. Keith was a Scotsman who fled to France in the days of Queen Bloody Mary in Britain. And Keith spent some time in Geneva in the days of John Calvin's leadership there. It was Calvin's chief musician, a man named Louis Bourgeois, who wrote the tune to Keith's text of Psalm 100, That same tune we just sang, the same tune that we sing the doxology to, even to this day. And together, Keith's text and Bourgeois' tune have come to be known as the Old Hundredth. The Old Hundredth. 
Psalm 100 has been especially cherished by saints through the years. It's somewhat unique among the Psalms for its undistracted and unbridled praise. Undistracted and unbridled praise. Notice, it doesn't begin with lament before getting to praise. It doesn't dabble in themes like the judgment coming on the nations. It doesn't even turn to wisdom instruction like many psalms do, at least in part. It's just all praise, all the time, to the max. And that intensity, I think, is felt all the more when we consider the literary context. It is the capstone and the climax of the Psalms of the 90s. Psalms 93 to 99, we've been learning, they especially emphasize God's reign over all his creation. And they praise God for that reign. So praise is found in Psalms 93 to 99, but Psalm 100 is the high point. It's the climax. The intensity of praise is turned up to 11. Psalms 90 to 100, uh, as they begin book four of the Psalter, they have a few things in common beyond just God's reign. Let me point these out. Number one, they employ the imagery and language of the Exodus. The Exodus, back in Egypt. Secondly, they're for the use of people who found themselves in exile in the days of the Babylonian captivity. And thirdly, they're in anticipation of a return to Jerusalem whenever that Babylonian captivity would be brought to an end. So Exodus, Exodus language, Exodus imagery, for use of people in exile in anticipation of their return to Jerusalem in due course. Keep those dynamics in mind as we study Psalm 100 today. I'll come back to them in just a little bit. Some have suggested a twofold structure to the great, the old hundredth. I think that's fair, twofold structure. You see verses 1 to 3 provide a series of calls to worship or invitations to worship, followed by some reasons for that worship in verse 3. And then verses 4 to 5 repeat the same pattern, a series of calls or invitations to worship, followed by the, the reason for it in verse 5. In all, Psalm 100 gives seven commands to worship, seven calls to worship, and just about as many reasons for it. So there's repetition. The same themes are spread throughout. So let me leave aside that twofold structure, if I may, having noted it for you, and let me give us three themes that I think we can find throughout the psalm. I'd like us to consider the call to praise, the manner of praise, and the reasons for praise. So first, the call to praise. And again, it's a sevenfold call, seven invitations, seven commands, seven verbs or imperatives, all related to worship. 
Make a joyful noise to the Lord, verse 1. Serve the Lord with gladness, verse 2. And come into his presence with singing. Verse 3, know that he is God. Verse 4, enter his gates in his courts and give thanks to him and bless his name. This is what worship is to look like. It's what worship is. It's, It's how God's people corporately were to give thanks to God. As the heading suggests, it's a psalm for giving thanks. You do this by singing. You do this by serving. So don't just think it's the worship experience, whatever that is. No, it's obedience too. It's honor. It's coming into his presence with singing. It's knowing him. Knowing what he's like. Knowing how we relate to him. It's entering his gates with thanks and his courts with praise. That language of gates and courts, well, it has to do with the temple grounds in the Old Testament. And there's a a progression going on here. It's the idea of actually coming in to Jerusalem from pilgrimage probably for one of those three annual feasts that the Israelites were to keep in Jerusalem. In the days of the temple, wherever you lived, however far you were from the temple, you made three journeys to Jerusalem for these appointed feasts. And it would be expected that you would sing on the way. And so a psalm like Psalm 100 is actually summoning the people in for that kind of worship. And as they would sing it, they would sing it to themselves and to each other, telling each other to come and enter in with thanks and praise. To God's presence. Come and enter into God's presence. That's what the temple is all about. The temple was the place of God's presence. We referred last week to the Ark of the Covenant that was within the Holy of Holies. And the Ark of the Covenant is called there the footstool. The footstool. It's as if it's God's footstool of his throne. An invisible heavenly throne is above it. And here he touches down upon earth as he rules amidst his people through sacrifice. And the whole storyline of the Bible can be plotted out on this theme of God's presence among his people. Think about it. It's what was enjoyed in the garden before the fall. Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day. They walked with God. They talked with him. They enjoyed his presence. That's what was lost after the fall. When Adam and Eve were banished from the garden because of their sin. That's what God then began restoring after the fall. First by speaking to Father Abraham and giving him great and grand promises. Which really begin to come into effect a a book later in the Bible from Genesis to Exodus. In Exodus... Why does God come to his enslaved people in Egypt? Well, to free them from slavery, yes, but to free them unto his worship, to dwell with them. 
That's what God provided in the tabernacle and the sacrificial system in the second half of the book of Exodus. Listen to this, Exodus 29, verse 45. God says, I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt that I might dwell among them. That's what he's up to. That's why King David later on in 2 Samuel 6 was so excited to bring the Ark of the Covenant up Mount Zion in Jerusalem. Mount Zion in Jerusalem was to be a more permanent place for God's dwelling among his people. A generation later, the temple was complete, a more permanent dwelling for God. And when the temple was prayed over and dedicated by King Solomon, fire came down from heaven and filled the temple, representing God's presence. The temple in those days was God's headquarters. Of course, Solomon acknowledged in his prayer of dedication that heaven and earth cannot contain this omnipresent God, much less this building. But in those days, God chose to manifest his presence locally and specifically, and he called his people wherever they lived to come and enter in. God's presence among his people is a big deal. And that's why the days of Babylonian captivity, the exile, that's why those days were so devastating, so unthinkable, so counterintuitive to what God said he was up to. But through the prophets, we learn that it's an act of God's judgment on his wayward people to discipline them. God allowed the Chaldeans and later the Babylonians to ransack Jerusalem and take captive the people, bringing them into their foreign land for over 70 years. It was almost like a banishment from the garden all over again because of their sin. Of course, it was temporary, but it was massively significant and painful. So how do you sing joyful, exuberant praise songs in the days of exile, in the days of a foreign land, in the days of slavery? Well, according to Psalm 137, you want to turn over there? It's not that far away. According to Psalm 137, maybe you don't sing. Or at least you struggle to sing. Verse 1 of Psalm 137. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows, we hung up our lyres. There are captors required, captors required of us songs, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? You feel that lament? How do we sing here? Well, that's not all that can be said. It's not the only proper response. It's not wrong. This isn't a psalm we should take out of our Bibles. But perhaps 
At times you bring to mind Psalm 90 as you live in this foreign land of slavery. Psalm 90, remember? The song of Moses. Get back to basics. Let's remember our beginning. Let's remember Moses who said, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. That's how the psalm begins, how it ends. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. And can I just keep reading from these psalms we've been soaking in for the last 10 weeks? Psalm 91 begins, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Verse 9, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. Psalm 92, verse 1, it is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. Psalm 93, the Lord reigns, he's robed in majesty. The Lord is robed, he puts on strength as a belt. The world is firmly established, it shall never be moved. Psalm 94, O Lord God of vengeance, God of vengeance, shine forth, rise up, O judge of the earth, repay the proud for what they deserve. Psalm 95, oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let's come into his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise to him with songs. Psalm 96, sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. 97, the Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. 98. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. For he has done marvelous things. His right hand, his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation in the sight of the nations. 99. The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion. He's exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. Remember what I said earlier about these psalms of the 90s. They employ the imagery of the exodus for the use of a people who found themselves in exile in Babylon in anticipation of their return to Jerusalem someday. And what do you sing in a foreign land? What do you sing when your world is turned upside down? Well, yes, yeah, sometimes it feels like you can't sing, as Psalm 137 attests. But the more typical approach 
is to start rehearsing God's reign and justice and goodness and care, his holiness and faithfulness, and to keep praising him until it reaches a, a crescendo, a fever pitch like this. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It's he who made us and we're his. We're his people and the sheep of his pasture. So enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And as you sing that, you can't wait for the day when God brings it to pass. You can't wait for the day when there's a turn, a, a fix, a change. And so we as Christians, in the days of COVID-19, under these unprecedented restrictions, like not meeting together fully as a church in person, well, we're not only eagerly awaiting that day, as Drew prayed about, when we, as we say, when we get back to normal, as great as that will be, we're not only waiting for that day. We are awaiting a day far, far better than that. There is coming a crescendo and a climax of praise to our great God, praise which will never end, never wane, never tire, never fade, never be distracted by something else, never get half-hearted or wishy-washy. So we too, we take up the language of the Exodus and we sing the songs of the exile as we anticipate the Lord's return. We're exiles. The New Testament picks up that identity for us. Peter, more than anyone else, he writes his first letter to the elect exiles. Verse 17 of chapter 1, he speaks of how to live during the days of your exile. In chapter 2, he tells them how to live as sojourners and exiles. We don't feel at home in this world because we're not. And until that day that God calls us to our eternal home, he calls us now and calls all of us. Notice verse 1 is addressed to all the earth. That's you. It's whether you call yourself a Christian or not, this is addressed to you. Worship him, praise him, know him, serve him, come before him, thank him, bless him, and do it freely and happily. Which leads, secondly, to the manner of our praise. The manner of praise. It's a joyful noise to the Lord. We serve the Lord with gladness. We come into his presence with singing. It's entering his gates with thanksgiving. Not just saying thanks because it's polite, but it flows out of thankful hearts. This is the manner of our praise. 
In a word, God's praise is to be exuberant. Exuberant. That is joyous and glad and loud. Now, that's not the only attitude. That's not the only approach to God's praise. No, Psalm 46 tells us to be still, or literally shut up and know that he is God. Psalm 99 calls on the whole world to tremble before this great God and to praise his great and awesome, awe-filling name. But when we're right with this awe-filling God, we don't just tremble. When we're right with him, there is to be a a freeness and a joyfulness, an exuberance in celebrating who he is and what he's done. Does joy comprise your Christian life? Does Does it mark your Christian life? It is to be a mark of God's people. Psalm 16, 11 In your presence is the fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 37 verse 4 gives us the command, delight yourself in the Lord. Delight in him. Malachi 4 gives us the promise that the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. The Westminster Catechism has as its first question, what is the chief end of man? What was he made for? What's the purpose of life? The answer The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Glorify God, enjoy him forever. And as John Piper points out, it is equally true to say that the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. This is ultimately how we glorify God, by enjoying him not by dutifully serving him and obeying him, not with songs of mere lip service, even if they're good words, not by merely coming before him, coming to church, not by theoretically knowing some facts about our God, not by religiously saying thanks to him before every meal. Those are all fine and good. But what is the heart behind those things? Are those things driven by duty or religious peer pressure or in hopes of manipulating God so that he'll be on our side and give us what we want? Or are they born out of relationship? Are they in light of what God has done Isn't this how it works in human relationships? That the attitude, that the heart is so decisive? What does it mean for me to love my wife? To provide for her? Sure. To stay faithful to her? 
yes. To give her a present every now and then, sure. But if I do all that and I don't really like her, enjoy her, well, then I don't really love her, do I? Piper gives this illustration in Desiring God, his book, Desiring God, Meditations of a Christian Hedonist. He says, if a husband gives his wife flowers and she says, thanks, why'd you do this? What's the occasion? If he responds, well, it's Valentine's Day, I'm supposed to. It's my duty. Well, his wife is not nearly as honored and loved as if he would have said, I couldn't help myself. I delight to make you smile. And so the joyful and glad elements of Psalm 100 are not like the sprinkles on an ice cream sundae. You know those sprinkles? You can have them, not have them. I don't know if you even taste the difference. You can barely feel the difference. It look a little bit better on the ice cream sundae maybe. Well, it's just, it's just sprinkles on the ice cream sundae. And, and joyful and glad here are more like the heart in the human body. Less like extra credit on a test. So, you know, you can get 100 if you do really well on this test. And then if you want to do the extra credit, you can get three more points. Yeah, I don't know if I'll do it. You got 100. Now, this is more like the heart in the human body to glorify God by enjoying him. Because here's the reverse. It's in Deuteronomy 28 where God threatens, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart. You hear? Because you didn't serve him with joyfulness and gladness of heart, you will now serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you. Well, that sounds pretty serious. So what if you don't feel it? What if you don't feel it these days? What if you've been going through the motions in your relationship with the Lord? What if your heart isn't in it these days when you do things of worship? or Bible reading or prayer? Well, that can be answered a few different ways. Let me give you three answers on this big and important question. Number one, you may not be a Christian. I say that in all love and concern. It may be that the Holy Spirit has not changed your heart and you've been going about the motions without a transformed inner man you know those thermometers that we put on turkeys in turkeys at thanksgiving and the turkey cooks long enough and then the thermometer sticks out this little it's done well the point of thanksgiving is not to celebrate the coming out of the little thermometer indicator there's heat on the inside. Something's changed on the inside. That's the, the point. The, the thermometer indicates change on the inside. And that's what Jesus does when he gives us salvation. 
He doesn't just forgive, he restores, he transforms. He talks about his gospel as, yes, eternal life, meaning you don't go to hell, but also abundant life. He speaks of salvation being like water, which, which yes, gives drink to desperately thirsty souls who will die without it. But he also speaks of us being streams of water and water flowing out of us as blessings to others. He puts within us a Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit, one component of that is joy. So you may not be a Christian. And God may use this moment right now for you to to pursue him, to, to realize he hasn't done this inner work that makes us genuinely joyful and glad. The second answer I have, so what if I don't feel it these days? Well, Christian or not, you need to look to Jesus afresh. Perhaps, Christian or not, you're trying to strive your way to God, which will never produce joy and freeness. Do you know how Jesus is the blessed man of Psalm 1? Have you heard that before? Psalm 1 tells us who is blessed. It's he who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the Bible, and he meditates on the Bible day and night. That man's blessed, saved. Well, Psalm 1 holds that out for us to follow. And Psalm 1 also shows us that we don't perfectly meet the standard. But... The Bible shows us how Jesus ultimately fulfilled that. He was the true Psalm 1 man. He is Bible man, like of superhero proportions. Do you know how Jesus is the answer to the questions found in Psalm 24? Psalm 24 asks, who can ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who can come into God's presence? It says, he who has clean hands. In a pure heart. Clean hands, no sin, pure heart, no ill motive. Well, that should first and foremost drive us to look to one who could enter God's presence with perfectly clean hands, with an ultimately pure heart. Jesus is the answer to the questions of Psalm 24. Well, have you ever considered how Jesus is also the true and ultimate singer of the Psalms? The worship of the Psalms is sometimes so lofty. Oh, sometimes it is so earthy, yes, but sometimes it is, like Psalm 100, so lofty. And it can be as convicting as it is inspiring and encouraging. And so who among us can say that we're this joyful, that we have this much gladness? Well, Jesus, thankfully, was a Psalms man, not just in his study of the Psalms, not just in his memorization of the Psalms, not just in his frequent quoting of the Psalms. Jesus was a song-singing man. 
He obeyed the call of the Psalms to worship God joyfully, and he did it perfectly with all of his heart and soul and mind and strength. You might say, I don't think I've ever heard that take before. It might be a little too novel of an idea. Well, the writer of Hebrews does this for us. The writer of Hebrews puts these words from Psalm 22 upon Jesus' lips. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. In other words, Jesus fulfills that bit of the Psalms. And so when we've taken the pulse of our affection in worship and we find it a weak pulse may be absent, well, let's first make sure that we're not trusting our own feelings and efforts, but looking to Christ as a substitute for our sin and a substitute righteousness. In the Corinthian letters, Paul has some punchy sayings about this. Chapter 1, verse 30 of the first letter, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us Wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. We are in him. And so we're in his righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And Paul puts it like this in the second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 5. For your sake, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin or, or to bear sin. Him who knew no sin. He didn't sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He took our sin. He gives us his righteousness if we believe. To believe is to put ourselves in him. Union with him. And so I ask, have you ever done that? Can you say what Paul says? of the Corinthians, that I'm in Christ Jesus who became for me wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption? Can you confess with Paul that it is for your sake that God made Jesus to bear sin, bear the payment of sin, even though he did no sin, so that you might be free of the payment of sin and have the righteousness of God on Christ's behalf. Well, I pray you'd think about that some more. I pray you'd pray that God would reveal that to you even today. I pray you'd be restless in your spirit until you know that transfer has been achieved and your soul is safe in Jesus. And if you do that today, you will be saved, and you will join us as Christians in this ongoing pursuit of Hebrews 12, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We just keep looking to him. And I still have a third answer here for this question. So what if I don't feel it? What if my heart isn't in it? Thirdly, well, even healthy Christians find themselves in valleys. They, they don't live on mountaintops, spiritually speaking. 
And so when we find ourselves in valleys, whatever the cause, we employ those psalms of lament which help walk us out of darkness into some light, which, which help us cast our burdens on the Lord, confessing again that he cares for us. When we find ourselves in valleys, we pray for God's help. Well, really, every day we need to pray Psalm 90, verse 14. Satisfy us in this morning, Lord, that we might sing for joy and be glad all our days. Satisfy us with your steadfast love. We sing. We do sing, even when we don't feel like it. We sing with joy at times. In other words, the joy just sort of bubbles around the singing. But at other times, we'll need to sing for joy. Sing for joy. And we'll keep longing for those days when joy and gladness flowed more freely than it does right now. God is glorified in your longing for better affections than you currently have. And longing for that ultimate day when that joy is consummated, when it will truly be true that at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. In his presence is the fullness of joy. That'll be true in a new heaven and a new earth someday. And until then, we'll just keep rehearsing the facts that we know. What do you know? What God has done, what he promised to do, who, who this God is and how he saves and how he relates to us. These are the reasons for praise. So thirdly, the reasons for praise. In verse 3 and verse 5, give us the reasons. Verse 3, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. See how multi-layered this is. There are many reasons in just one verse to praise God with this joy and with this noise and with this song. He's the creator. He made us. He owns us. He's good to us. He provides for us. He's the covenant-making God. We are his. We are his people. And this creator, covenant-making God, is also our shepherd. We are the sheep of his pasture. This is classic Exodus language. So Psalm 78 uses it. Re reviewing what happened at the Exodus, God led out his people like sheep, and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. He led them in safety so that they were not afraid. That classic shepherd imagery. We've alluded to Psalm 23 already this morning in song and in words spoken. The Lord protects and he leads. He guides and provides. He's with the sheep Psalm 23, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack or want or need anything. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. This is our God. This God 
who long ago spoke through David about the Lord as his shepherd, is also the God, we should say, who one day sent his son, who would fulfill all of the divine shepherd promises and motifs, not just in Psalm 23 or in Psalm 78 or in the Exodus, Also through the prophets, as the theme begins to swell, the shepherd's coming, it'll be a son of David, it'll be God himself. Read Exodus 34. And then Jesus shows up on the scene and says in John 10, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. There it is. Substitution in our place. The shepherd in the place of the sheep. I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus goes on, I have other sheep that are not of this fold of Israel, and I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. I've addressed non-Christians already, but how can I not tell you if you're not yet a Christian That to come to Jesus is to come under his sweet shepherding care. It is to join his flock. It's not a perfect flock, but it's a legit flock. We have this most important thing in common. The shepherd. And the hope of his life laid down for us. You should know this God. Don't you love that language of verse 3 back in Psalm 100? Know that the Lord, he is God. It's he who made us and we are his. We are his sheep. Know him. Just just don't pass over that. Know him. What a concept. To, To know him is to pursue him. To know him is something personal. To to know him is something ongoing. It's progressive because there's an infinite profundity about who this him is that we're to know. What privilege to know him, the Lord, Yahweh, God, creator. That one is our shepherd and friend. J.I. Packer, in his classic book, Knowing God, I've been thumbing through it again this week. He says that the more complex an object is, the more complex is the knowing of it. He says, when someone says, I know this horse, they mean, I know how this horse works. I know what this horse is going to do. I know how this horse behaves. And getting to know God is infinitely more complex than knowing a horse, but there are some similarities. We're getting to know him, what he's like, what he likes, how he behaves. We're getting to be familiar with his ways. And yet we learn of this God not by riding on his back or feeding him or combing his mane, but by listening to him, because unlike a horse, this this companion, this object, this one, he talks, he speaks to us, 
He tells us what he's up to. Packer speaks of the privilege of one being able to say, I know the Queen of England. And that may mean I know of her. It may mean that she doesn't know you. But it may mean I know her. I know her on such a level that she tells me what she's thinking. She tells me what she's planning. She tells me what I could do to help. Well, God himself spoke through the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 9. Let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands me and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. Know him. Know what he's like. And know that that is a reason for that sevenfold call to praise him and that manner of exuberant praise described therein. We get another batch of reasons in verse 5. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love and faithfulness endures forever sorry his steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations steadfast love and faithfulness 122 times in the old testament those terms are put together to describe god's ways it's rooted in god's own self-disclosure of his name in exodus 34 He calls himself as he passed by Moses, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, and keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Now in English, that steadfast love comes from a Hebrew word, chesed, and it's just one of the the most classic, the most rich Old Testament words, at least as it's used in the Bible. Some years ago, I pieced together different parts of different scholars' definition of chesed so that it would fill out maybe a little bit more in our thinking. And let me read what I put together from these various authors. Chesed is God's gracious character and exceptional commitment to his people. An attitude of God which arises out of his relationship with his people. It means that he has bound himself to his people. Chesed is outside the realm of duty, even though a promise to do chesed brings with it the idea of commitment. It's not merely an attitude or an emotion. It is an emotion that leads to an activity beneficial to the recipient. In the context of a deep and enduring commitment made by one who is able to render assistance to the other needy party. That is to say, God's chesed is the providential exercise of his power on behalf of needy people with whom he has established a special relationship. It's a promise and assurance of future help and fellowship that's characterized by permanence and constancy and reliability. It is primal, elemental, connected to God's love and grace and compassion. It's rooted in God himself. In short, it is simply who God is. 
You think of that refrain that's in Psalm 136. 136. Every verse of Psalm 136 says something and then it says the same thing over. His steadfast love endures forever. God did this. His steadfast love endures forever. We're dealing with this problem. His steadfast love endures forever. It's the chorus of our lives. It should be. Not complaint, but this confidence. This is going on in the world. His steadfast love endures forever. I don't see how he's going to work this one out. His steadfast love endures forever. How are we even going to have an election when we can't vote? His steadfast love endures forever. What will this president do next? His steadfast love endures forever. Well, what if it's the other guy? His steadfast love endures forever. In a word, our God is good. Once again, we find in these psalms, here in this psalm as well, we've seen it in others, a word that is so simple and plain, it doesn't seem fitting for our God. But the psalm has told us how he's good. He is God, verse 3. He is good, verse 5. And this goodness is defined by steadfast love and faithfulness forever. And this is what produces joy and gladness in us if we will get it, if we will see it afresh, if we will lean into it, if we'll keep coming back to it and not think that this is kindergarten stuff and tell me what the calculus of Christianity is. This is the calculus. We have great reason to praise our God exuberantly passionately, wholeheartedly, unreluctantly, unreservedly. Our God is not cruel, telling us, you better cheer up. I told that to my kids a time or two. What else could I do? I can't get inside their hearts. Maybe I could tell them, hey, you got it pretty good. But I don't know. Ah, cheer up. Our God is a much better parent than that. And he gives us reason after reason after reason after reason. And he gives us a book from which to rehearse and rehearse and rehearse. That it would feed into happy, joyful, free praise to this great God. We have so much to give thanks for. Remember, this is a psalm for giving thanks. And we have so much to give thanks for. But the old hundredth directs us in giving thanks for what is most important. God himself, our creator, our shepherd. He has us. He's full of steadfast love and faithfulness, and he has proven that to us supremely in Jesus, the shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. Let's pray through him right now. Lord Jesus, yes, in your name we come. You are the good shepherd. You are the God shepherd as well. Lord, you are great and greatly to be praised, and we pray, Lord, your praise would spread we pray it would spread broader and deeper.
Perhaps it would hit new hearts for a a first time even today. And perhaps, Lord, you would be kind to just anchor your steadfast love and faithfulness deeper into our hearts as we further apprehend how glorious you are. We thank you for what you've done. We thank you, Lord, for being the happy recipients of your faithfulness and love. We don't deserve it, but we are happy to receive it. Amen. Let us respond in praise. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of His Spirit. Washed in his blood. It's our song. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect salvation, nailed to a cross, bleeding and dying. All paths seem lost. Three days of darkness burst into light. Blessed assurance, yes, He is alive. This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long.
perfect submission All is at rest I and my Savior Am happy and blessed Watching and waiting Looking Filled with his goodness, lost in his love. What is your story? Do you have a song? Are you praising the Savior all day long? Well, we all have a story. We all, we might say, have a, a song that defines us. Maybe not literally, but you, you know what getting at but may Christ be your story may he be your song I mentioned earlier in the service that uh, you can use our email address info at dscabq.com to reach out if you have any questions about anything that you've heard today anything you're wrestling with in your soul or, or for that matter whether you're a Christian or not whether you're a member of this church or, or not we would love to pray for you so please share with us uh, prayer, what's going on? Our elders meet weekly, and we're always happy to pray for specifics that are sent in. Well, I have a couple things to tell you about next week. Number one, we'll begin a new series in the small letter to the Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians. Uh, if you were with us back before COVID-19, we were in First Thessalonians, and then we went to Psalms 90 to 100, and now we'll get back to that sequence of letters that Paul wrote to that early young church, the Thessalonians, in 2 Thessalonians. Be reading that uh, in this next week in preparation for it. It'll have some head scratchers in there that you'll want to tune in carefully to uh, as we work our way through it in upcoming weeks. Uh, Chase will be preaching the majority of those messages. I'm about to enter um, a writing sabbatical. You say, what's a writing sabbatical? Well, Drew just interviewed me in the podcast. If you actually want to know the details uh, and what that means, that a, a pastor would uh, at least take a break from preaching for a while to, to begin a, a writing project. Um, you can hear about that in the podcast, which com comes out tomorrow. But I'll be around. I'll be doing announcements and leading in worship in various ways. But uh, Chase will be leading us through the majority of those messages in Second Thessalonians. And praise God, we'll be in great hands in Chase's preaching. Another thing to tell you about next week is that we won't record the service in advance as we have been doing in these days of COVID-19. So as you're watching this, you're probably watching on a Sunday, this is being recorded on a Friday, and starting next week, we're going to instead live stream the service from Sunday morning at 10 a.m. So 10 a.m. Now, if you, if you wake up at 10.30, no problem, you can start at 10.30, but you can't start at 9.30 or 9 o'clock because it hasn't happened yet. It happens at Sunday at 10 o'clock, and you ask, well, why? What's the purpose of this? Well, it's one step closer to doing whatever is next for us as a church in trying to meet together more than we currently do. Uh, we, we know that at some point, it'll be a Sunday morning meeting. We know at some point that Sunday morning meeting will be pretty scarcely attended because People are still cautious. Even when we're able to meet as a church, there'll be some who just say, I think it's a little too risky for me. I'm going to stay home. Well, we want the, the stream to be available for them. 
And so that's why we'll begin streaming on Sundays starting next week, 10 a.m. Well, let me read from Psalm 103 to dismiss us. Bless the Lord. O oh, my soul, David says to himself, all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. He's good. He's good not just in his mercy or in his shepherding, but even in his small little gifts and happy moments. He forgives all your iniquity. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. He satisfies you with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. And from there, David reviews history. He recounts what the Lord has done how he worked through Moses and how he kept his covenant and how this and how that. This is our God. This is what he's done. This is who he still is. And this is our God, our shepherd. So we depart in his name and we'll see you next week.